The mention of the subject of prayer, no doubt, uh, fills no few of us here this morning. Oh, with a sense of discouragement, if you're honest, uh, maybe even disillusionment with your own practice. Uh, prayer is a struggle, if again, if, if we're honest. Prayer is, is, is a struggle. You have this, the issue, the difficulty of time, right, uh, of, of allocating it, of, of making room for it, of then sticking to it, to the difficulty of time. Then you have what I'll call the difficulty of, of drift. So now you have, you actually have allocated the time, you're minding it and sticking to it, and you're sitting there, and you, these wandering thoughts, going here, going there, easy distractions, doesn't take much to just go on down with Alice down the, the, the rabbit hole. Uh, so we, we make resolutions. We resolve. We're going to do better. We're going to pray better. We know it's a big deal. We know it's kind of important, so we need to invest more of ourselves in that. And so we resolve. We promise. We make plans and purpose to do this sort of thing and do it better. And that's fine, so long as we understand what it is we're committing ourselves to. What is prayer? What is it? How do we pray? Why do we pray? Those are pretty important questions to have straight in our minds and hearts uh, as we begin to think about such things. This is meant to be, this morning is meant to be the first in a, a series, a short series uh, of four this month on the topic of prayer, exploring this in particular from the angle of learning from the Apostle Paul. Uh, praying with Paul is the umbrella of this, this little series. This morning, we're going to just look at some basic lessons, lessons on prayer. So praying with Paul, I was, I'll just be honest, just, just put my cards on the tables. The idea was inspired by a book by D.A. Carson from some years ago, uh, greatly has impacted me, and uh, the theme, the idea is, is coming from him. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's in the New Testament. Uh, this is not Matthew, okay? This is not Matthew. This is not Isaiah, if you were back in our, here in our Advent series. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, there's a series of T's in your New Testament if you're trying to find that. It's before the book of Hebrews. That's a big one, kind of moving there towards the right in your New Testament. You have 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. Like I said, it's a series of T's. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's the final chapter when the, the letter is broken up. In the chapters, it's chapter 5, verses 16 through 28. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 28. Hear now the word of God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together for a moment. 
Lord Jesus, surely we do need your help as we're stopping here to pray, as we're beginning to think about prayer. And we know that we need to do more than, than think about it. Uh, we need you to do a work that only you can, stirring within uh, not just the mind, but the heart, such that our wills would be moved uh, towards action, towards steps, towards application. Uh, we need your help with, with every step of that, with every single step of that. And every one of us in this room, you find this morning in a different place. You've brought here uh, in a different place. Uh, and we ask that you would meet us. We ask that you would, in the richest, deepest sense, teach us, train us, make us to understand what it means to be your disciples. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to pray and help us to learn the things that are uh, here in First Thessalonians 5? We pray in your name. Amen. What is our greatest need? What is our greatest need, specifically our greatest need as a church? Here's some possibilities, no doubt, if we were to do just kind of like, hey, what do you think, you know, kind of a survey around the room. We need greater zeal in evangelism. We need to be more creatively connected with the needs of the community around us. We need transparent relationships, one with another, such that we really are learning to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who we, we need, especially as we think about the issues of our day, and such that we're not just, you know, being spoon-fed and molded by the talking heads and the news programs as to how to think, but actually having a biblical world and life view. We, we need those things. And so what is our greatest need? We could pick any of those, and no doubt if we had more time, we could pick a whole bunch more. And there's nothing wrong with any of those answers, but here's the deal. Those are symptoms. Those are but symptoms of what is actually our greatest need. Our greatest need is to know God better. That's our greatest need, to know God better. To the degree that we are growing in our knowledge of the true and living God, all those other things will take care of themselves. Knowing Him informs and transforms and impels all those other things that we could talk about, all those other great needs that we might come up with. Our greatest need is to know him better. Fine, let's press into that. How do we know him? How do we get to know him better? How does that happen? One of the chief essential vital means that the scriptures make clear to us is the ways by which we get to know our God better is through prayer. It's through prayer, communing with, with him. Now, so let's pull all this together, okay? The two questions, like, could, just might be helpful to do that. So what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is to grow in the knowledge of God. What is the chief means that he has given us by which we are to grow in the knowledge of God? Prayer. What does that tell us? Well, it's kind of a big deal. It's, it's, it's a really big deal, but here's the problem. Okay, so let's just say you're in agreement with those two questions. We have a problem. We're allergic to prayer. If we're honest, just being honest, we're allergic to prayer. We don't like to pray. But what does prayer involve? Stopping, 
slowing down, being still, acknowledging my need of God. Oh, I, ooh, wow. Um, not being so active, so busy, so driven towards doing the essential, important things and engaging with something that somehow my twisted heart tells me and the world around me confirms in the midst of all these important, essential things that must get done, this seems like kind of a, hmm, okay, if you got time. Or if there's nothing, if all, if all else fails, well, I guess we just got to pray. But rather, the Lord is telling us, no, it's, it's, not, it's not like that at all. It's, it's vital. It's essential. It's foundational. Again, our greatest need is to know God better and he's shown us the way in that, and it is through prayer. Now, what has he shown us? Thinking about 1 Thessalonians 5. Two simple things, two simple things, and just for time's sake and given the brevity of the text, just two simple things. One, how to pray and what to pray. Just simply how to pray and what to pray. Let's, let's delve into that a little bit. So how to pray. Let me read verses 16 through 18. Again, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You have three commands and one um, profound reason driving those commands, enveloping those commands. So the three commands, rejoice always. Uh, rejoice always. Paul is not saying, he's writing to a persecuted church. If you read back in Acts, the founding of of, of this church, and you read in between the lines in First and Second Thessalonians, you understand this is a church that's, that's undergoing the heat. This is a persecuted church. Clearly, when Paul says, rejoice always, he's not saying, be happy. Put a smile on that face. Be cheerful. Be bubbly. Be exuberant. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, sink your soul's roots down into the Lord. Find your satisfaction in Him. Find your soul satisfaction in him, and therein you will have joy even amidst tears. Joy even amidst sorrow. Rejoicing always. Praying continually. That's the second thing. What is that? It can't mean literally praying 24-7. How would Paul have written this letter? Right? He's not praying. Oh, I guess he just violated his own rule. Or he couldn't hardly be asking these people to read it if that's actually what he meant. So clearly that's not literally what he means. It has more to do with a posture of reliance upon God in any and everything all the time, quick to go to him in, with anything, with any and everything. Pray continually. That's the second thing. Thirdly, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's not giving thanks for all circumstances. That would be to say, I'm thankful for an evil thing. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, in the midst of whatever is going on, with the assurance that God's hand is a good and strong one upon us and our circumstances. That deep, profound Assurance. This is a, it's a three-legged stool, those three commands. The rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. It's a three-legged stool, and you may have noticed the continuity that's being called for in there. Always, continually, in all circumstances. Well, how? How is that possible? The only way that's possible 
is when you keep reading on into verse 18 and you see the grounds, the reason that Paul gives for this. Let me read it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's a couple ways to look at this. First, pray this way as Jesus did. As you look at the Gospels, as you see Jesus praying, we see him rejoicing always. We see him praying continually, giving, it all, excuse me, giving thanks in all circumstances, in the ways that Paul intends. So as Jesus did, certainly there's, there's that. And if, in fact, we are his followers, then we are, in fact, to be walking in his steps, following his lead and example in these things. But that's not all that Paul means here. It's not just as did Jesus, but in union with Jesus, where in Jesus we find our very life. His name is upon us. We know we are his. And in the right sense, he is, is ours we are not entrusting ourselves stoically to the, the blind fates of the universe. We are entrusting ourselves relationally, personally, to one that we know is the king of love, and he is our shepherd. And therein we can pray that way. Therein we can pray. This is how we pray. This is how we pray. Um, knowing who we are, whose we are, who has us, whose hand is upon us. But let's just think just for a moment about the obstacles to this. The obstacles that make it really difficult, if not impossible, to pray in, in this way in any, in any way at all. If we believe, if we have deluded ourselves, if we've listened to the, 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 the voice of the, of the world around us, the, the deceit of the devil... Um, the foolishness of our own hearts, if we believe that we're actually on our own, we will not pray this way. If we believe that things are ultimately up to us, we will not pray this way. If, if we don't understand that truly he is with us in the most profound way and for us in the most profound way, that his presence and power that we talk about with our children are actually just idle tales that we ourselves don't believe, we will not pray this way. But what if we do believe those things? What if we do? What if that is where our roots go? What did we just celebrate over the last several weeks? Was that just a thing? Was that just, you put the decorations away, but is it over? Emmanuel. God with us. Now think of the implications of that. What does that tell us about him? That he would go to such lengths for the likes of us. What does it tell us about him? What does it tell us about us? That we need him to go to such lengths for the likes of us. Our greatest need is to know him better. And one of the means towards that end is prayer. He has shown us the way. That's the first thing. How to pray, the posture, if you, if you will, as we pray. But the, Paul goes on. Some other things to consider here, not just how to pray, but what to pray. Now, just a, just a quick aside, this is not an exhaustive treatment on the topic, nor is this even an exhaustive treatment on the text, okay? So I'm skipping down now to verse 23. Um, skipping down to verses 23 to 25, looking at what to pray. Now may the God of peace himself, this is a prayer, 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul begins with his prayer for the, these people that he's writing to, and then he pushes further. He asks for prayer. Brothers, verse 25, pray for us. All right, Paul prays for them. Paul prays for them. It tells us something of his love for them. To love a person rightly is to pray for them. And Paul loved people well, so he's praying for them. We're going to talk about that over the coming weeks, how those two things are connected, how love for someone is directly connected to prayer for that person as, as well. Well, Paul loved these people well and deeply, and so he prays for them. And we see here two petitions in particular. He says, uh, may the God of peace, that is to say, the God who is the only source of any real peace at all in this world, within our hearts, and in the cosmos, may that God sanctify you through and through. That is to say, enable you to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This progressive work that would take place, going, taking, moving from the inside out by the power of the Spirit through the gospel, changing you to become more and more like Jesus progressively over time, not all at once, incrementally, slowly but surely, may the God of peace do that in your lives. That's the first prayer. The second is very much like it, where he speaks of this longing that the whole person, the body, soul, uh, soul spirit, and body thing, what that's referring to, it's not a necessarily a tripart, tripartite, I believe that's the way to pronounce it. it. It's not meant to be an understanding of Christian anthropology. That's not the idea. What Paul is getting at there is just may your whole person, may your whole self, your whole person be restored and may that work continue in the course of your days on this earth until Jesus returns. That's quite a prayer. That's quite a prayer, quite searching, quite, quite searching. And he seems to be doing, praying this, asking this with a great deal of boldness, with a great deal of confidence that, in fact, God will answer this prayer. This is not a shot at, at, you know, as the buzzer's going off from the half-court line of the court, hoping it'll go in, Paul is sure. He's absolutely sure. How do, we, how do we know that? Well, we see in verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He is confident, not in the brilliance of the man who planted the church in Thessalonica, not in those who are leading that church, he is not in confidence in the people themselves that he is writing to and the firmness and strictness of their resolutions to do better in all these things, but rather in the tenacious faithfulness of God. That's his confidence. That's all the confidence he has, and it's a universe full of it. That's the only confidence he has, and you can't contain it because we're talking about the faithfulness of God. So, Paul prays for them with these things in mind. He also asks for prayer as well. You see that in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. This is hardly 
uncommon for Paul. There's several other instances in, in his letters where he says very much the same thing, asking for, for prayer and speaking, just assuming that his readers are, in fact, praying for him. What is he assuming by all of that? What, was, what do we take as an implication of it? First of all, that there's a partnership, there's a relationship between him and his readers, and he's relying upon that and appealing to that and asking for prayer. But then that assumes something, doesn't it? That God, in the wonder of his ways, actually accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. Now, that's an extraordinary thing to say. That's what the scriptures tell us. And let me just say that again because I'm glad you're sitting down. Because that really is a stunning thing to consider. God, the living God of whom we have sung and read already much this morning, the living God delights to accomplish his eternal purposes through the prayers of his people. This is what Paul has in mind. It's why he's asking for the prayers of his people. But something else that we need to grab hold of, and that is Paul's humility. Not just the assumptions that he's operating under, but his humility. His humility, it's the Apostle Paul asking for the prayers of these people who we don't even know the names of. What does that tell us? This man knows his need, his need of God's help, and he is not afraid or ashamed to own that and ask for their prayers. Such is his humility. It's how to pray. How to pray and what to pray, which then begs some questions of us. How do we pray for one another, and how do we ask for prayer from one another? Does that make sense? Just with this in mind, and now putting that grid on us, what about us? That's, and I'm assuming, right, we are praying for one another, and I am assuming that we are asking for prayer, but how specifically? In, 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 in what ways. To be sure, health needs and things pertaining to work and our families and school and what, you know, all, all those other things. I mean, the, he's Lord of all of life and everything, and everything is under his purview. So, so absolutely, but, but is it not possible that perhaps we should be concerning ourselves with some currents down beneath those surface waters? Like, say, you know, I need you to pray that the God of peace would sanctify me completely. Because I need it. Or how about this, the fact that every one of us struggles with this reality, just the phraseology of what Paul has spoken of already. None of us, I put it this way, all of us have room to grow in rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Even in the midst of, now you fill in the blank. We need that. I need that. We need that. Our greatest need is to know God better. And one of the chief means by which he is showing us here is through prayer. Let me just uh, wrap it up in this way. This is vital that this, we, we, we not just skate over this as we're, we're wrapping this up. 
Yes, he's shown us the way, but he's also made it possible. He's shown us the way through, of prayer, the, the how and the what, but he's also made it possible. Imagine you're, imagine you're on a journey of some kind. We'll just say on foot or horseback, not, not car. And you're, you're moving through un, uncharted terrain, and you realize, you know, daggone it, I'm lost. And you come upon this, this individual he seems trustworthy. You ask him for directions. He tells you. He points you down this lane. He says, here's what you're going to encounter here, 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 here. Now, here's what you do. Here's where you turn. Here's what you need to do. Blah, blah. Okay, and, and off you go. And then you come to discover his directions aren't enough. You come to discover that actually the way is impassable because the bridge is out, the tunnel is closed, and the river is flooded, or just pick one of those. Or maybe it's all three. So you see, it doesn't really matter how good the directions are. You're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. And somehow in the mix of this story, this guide shows up again, and he uh, connects the bridge, clears the tunnel, and carries you across that swollen river. And in the course of this, he's doing something that only he can, and at the ultimate cost to himself, his very life. You arrive, and you come to discover this was the prince of the land who has brought you into the kingdom of his father at great cost to himself. You see, he didn't just show you the way. He got you there. I'm telling you this story not to guilt or shame any of us into praying more because, oh, look what he did for you. Can't you just pray? That's not the point. That would be completely to misconstrue the story. The point of the story is, don't you know who you're praying to? Can't you see how much he loves you? Can we not see what he has done for us? Can we not capture within our minds, within our imaginations, within our hearts, his heart for us? And we can now go to him with any and everything. Our greatest need is to know him. And prayer is is the great means towards that end. He's shown us the way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. What a wonder, what a wonder that we could communicate, commune with the true and living God only because you have moved towards us and made it possible. We, creatures, but made in your image, according to your likeness, relational beings, spiritual beings, we are your children made for intimacy, communion with you. You want this for us. We need to know you as children. And you have provided a way, showing us, showing, taking us by the hand again and again all through the Scripture, showing us and teaching and modeling and examples and all such, and making it possible through your Son. We pray you'd move our hearts by these realities such that this would overflow in the daily life. We pray in your name. Amen.